It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman, again filling in for regular host Mark King this week. You can follow us at on Twitter at Locked On Grizz. You can follow Mark himself at King underscore producer. And you can follow myself, Sean Coleman at Stats SAC. That's at S T A T S S A C. Coming up on today's episode, we're going to dive into last night's game against the Denver Nuggets in the first segment. Follow it up with a look at the Southwest Division, uh, the Grizzlies' other four division foes, their current statuses in the second segment. And in the third segment, we're going to look at the roster and gather some ideas of how to best put it, put the roster in a position for success, navigating to a tough end to 2018 as the Grizzlies continue to have playoff aspirations going into 2019. Getting straight to the point last night against Denver, the Grizzlies had a pretty good setup coming off a big loss to the LA Lakers on Saturday night to gain a win against another playoff contender on the road, and get some positive momentum going as they go into a very tough stretch before Christmas. And and there was reason to feel good about last night's game. Uh, For one, the Grizzlies on Saturday night, they suffered their third double-digit loss of the season. The previous two times that they had lost by 10 points, the Grizzlies had responded in a big way in terms of bouncing back. The opening night loss to the Indiana Pacers by 28, the six games after that, the Grizzlies went 5-1, and one. and then on November 7th, they lost by 16 points to the Golden State Warriors, and in the eight games after that, they had gone 7-1. and one. So this team had shown that it had the ability to bounce back in a big way. The other reason why last night you had some optimism going into it was because of the, of the status of the Denver Nuggets roster. The Nuggets, even though they were 17-9 and nine and had the third best record in the West, in the previous 10 days to last night's game, they had suffered injury losses to Isaiah Thomas, to Paul Millsap, and to Gary Harris. Both Harris and Millsap are going to be on the shelf for more than a month. Will Barton had already been on the shelf for more than a month with an injury of his own. So that was a team that had three of its five starters and a key contributing bench piece unavailable to play. So it was just a great setup for the Grizzlies to, to take advantage of a, a getting a road win and again getting some positive momentum. And last night, they completely dropped the ball. Last night's loss, in my opinion, was inexcusable. It was, it was, it was a damn shame. And, and to put it bluntly, it was the worst loss the Grizzlies had experienced this season, in my opinion. And anybody who wants to water it down for whatever excuse they may want to give is lying to you and lying to themselves. The Grizzlies simply dropped the ball last night, and they only had themselves to blame. In the 105-99 loss for the first three quarters, the Grizzlies shot 58% from the field. It wasn't the offense. The offense was able to stay in the game because of taking good shots. Again, it came down to the inability to prevent rebounds. Nikola Jokic, coming off the first matchup of the season in which he only had one shot, finished with 27 points and 12 assists. And the big reason why he was able to do that was one of the main reasons why the Grizzlies beat him themselves last night. And it was the effort of Mark Gasol. I don't have an issue with the reason why Mark Gasol 
put forth the effort he did last night. He had zero points and zero rebounds in the first half. In the second half, he did show up a little bit, but in the fourth quarter being out on the court, he clearly was not in shape to be able to give the usual effort that he does, the usual effort that is needed from him for the Grizzlies to be able to take advantage against a team of Denver's caliber. And right now, Mark Gasol, in the overall scheme of things, is more of a liability on the court, more of a harm to the Grizzlies on the court, than he is a help. I get Mark Gasol feels that if he is injured, that even though he may be injured, unless he just physically cannot be out there, Mark feels that he is best helping the team if he is on the court. Right now, that's simply not a case. Back in the Toronto game, Mark suffered lower leg injury, some type of ankle injury. And in the six games since that, he simply has not been himself. To the point that him being on the court is a liability versus helping the Grizzlies. For instance, last night, if Joe Kimnoma or heaven forbid, if Joe, if uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. were in the game besides Mark, I feel it would have given the Grizzlies a better chance to win. So Mark's stubbornness right now is putting in the Grizzlies' position to where, yeah, it in general it makes sense when he's on the court, the Grizzlies have their best chance to win. That's just not simply the case right now. And while it may be a very inconvenient time due to the quality of opponents coming up on the schedule, Mark definitely needs some rest. That segues into the bigger source of disappointment from last night's game that I had, and that's with J.B. Bickerstaff. J.B. Bickerstaff is someone whose strength as a coach comes from, from the relationship that he has with his players. Coming off of last season, the lack of drama, the, the, the pretty much the team cohesion that you see, the, the, the way that this team plays together and supports each other, that's a positive. That should be attributed to J.B. Bickerstaff. He bought into the philosophy that the Grizzlies had in place. The Grizzlies gave him the players to put the philosophy in play, and J.B. has definitely done that. There's a re He's a good reason why we are such a good defensive team. But beyond that, I do feel there is plenty of reason to feel that J.B. Bickerstaff is a liability to the Grizzlies when it comes to their inability to be able to get offense going. This Grizzlies roster is certainly some a, one that can maximize its production on defense. It, it's built that way. But for them to really have a chance against better competition, they've got to be able to have game plans, schemes, and adapt to what a defense throws them from the, uh, from the opponent. And J.B. Bickerstaff just does not do that on a consistent basis. And it's from his decision-making, from his game planning, which we can see in the fourth quarter. Again in the fourth quarter, a big turning point in this game, in my opinion, was with four minutes and 23 seconds left in the game. At that point, that is when Jermichael Green came in for Jaron Jackson Jr. I get the reason why he came in was to be able to give the Grizzlies a chance to be able to grab rebounds, to prevent rebounds, to give them a chance late in the game to have some sort of presence that can rebound. That makes sense. But from that point on, the offense again went into predictable mode in which it was Mark and it was Mike doing the pick and roll with the other three players, I believe it was Temple, Anderson, and Jermichael Green, just standing in the corner and not moving at all. In today's NBA game, that is not effective offense. And after seeing it game after game after game, teams are picking up how to play defense against that and they're finding it easier to stop Mark and Mike on the pick and roll. It showed last night with the Grizzlies inability to shoot, and with their um, uncharacteristic amount of turnovers in the fourth quarter. The Grizzlies are a roster that is complemented because of their intelligence. 
That intelligence is not an advantage if you have your players just standing in the corner, not moving around at all. The Grizzlies' lack of movement on offense is extremely frustrating. When they do move, they get good looks for their players and they make shots to either stay in the game or maintain a lead. But the off, but the other players besides Mark and Mike standing in the corner, not moving, not contributing any real value to the offense at all, comes back on GB. It comes back to an inability to come up with offensive schemes, which seems like we don't run at all in the fourth quarter. Beyond the scheming of plays and, 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 and the actual setup of offensive sets, it's the lineup management that JB offers. Jaron Jackson Jr. does not need to be on the bench in the fourth quarter. He is the third best weapon that you have to win games. I don't care how your traditional mindset towards handling rookies are. I don't care what numbers say. I don't care what the past says. At the end of the day, the simple, straightforward truth, Jaron Jackson should be on that court just as much as Mark and Mike because of the value that he adds. And when you look at it, it also makes sense in terms of what you're trying to prevent. You don't have Jaron Jackson out there because you want to limit his mistakes. The only way that Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be able to learn from mistakes and get better is to actually be playing. There's no excuse. I get Jermichael Green winning last night for the reason of rebounding. But if you want your team to have the best chance of winning and you want your team to also continue to improve to the point that it becomes better, you've got to be able to develop one of your best pieces, and that is Jaron Jackson Jr., the best way for him to be able to meet his potential as quick as he shows that he can do that is to play. So the fact that he continues to sit on the bench in the fourth quarter is absolutely inexcusable. He's improved on the reasons why you think you should sit him. You need to give him the chance to play. So that's my big takeaways from last night. It's the status of Marc Gasol. Even though the schedule, upcoming schedule is extremely hard, I do feel at some point in time, either resting him for a night or limiting his minutes is the way to make sure he stays or regains health to be in a position to be there for us in the long haul this season. And also, it's the performance of J.B. Bickerstaff. At some point, common sense has to take over. You need to have a better offensive game plan and make sure that you're utilizing the abilities of all five players that are on the court, especially in the fourth quarter. And when it comes to giving yourself the best chance to win, your best players need to play. And that's Jaron Jackson Jr. being on the court to begin the game and being on the court to end the game. We'll be back in just a moment for the second segment of the show in which we'll dive into the Southwest Division and talk about the Grizzlies Division foes. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. Again, my name is Sean Coleman, filling in for regular host Mark King this week as he's on vacation. As stated in the last segment, the reason why I felt that the loss last night was arguably one of the worst, if not the worst, for the Grizzlies um, this season was because any game that you get, especially against a playoff contender, in which it's in your favor to be able to win the game, you got to take advantage of it. And for the Grizzlies, one of the biggest reasons why is due to the division that they are in. 
The Southwest Division um, of the NBA has been one of, if not the most competitive divisions and the most successful divisions over the last five years. In the last five years, the Southwest Division has had at least three, if not more, of its um, division participants go to the playoffs. That's mainly been because of the success of the Denver, or, or excuse me, of the Houston Rockets, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Memphis Grizzlies. Regardless of how you want to spin it, this has been one of the best rosters because of the fact that you've had the continuation, you've had continuity of players on the rosters. Coming into this season, I felt that that was also the case. I did an article for Grizzly Bear Blues, and I felt as if one of the ways the Grizzlies would be able to give themselves the best chance to make the playoffs was by being able to have success within the Southwest Division. So far, the Southwest Division has been the polar opposite of what many thought it would be. Coming off the success they had last year, it was clear that the class of this division would have, was supposed to be the Houston Rockets. Also along with them was supposed to be the Pelicans and then the offseason edition of Julius Randle. And then following up with that is the San Antonio Spurs. Despite their roster shakeup, there was plenty of talent to make them a favorable playoff contender. And then bringing up the pack were the Dallas Mavericks and, and, the Hughes, and, the, and us, the Memphis Grizzlies, both teams that had had top five picks in the NBA draft. When I say that it absolutely has been opposite of what was expected, right now the division standings stand as the Grizzlies at 15-11 and 11 are half a game ahead of the Dallas Mavericks. The Pelicans, who the Grizzlies beat on Friday, are two and a half games back along with the Spurs at 13-14. and 14. And then picking up the uh, uh, coming up at the end is the Houston Rockets, 11-14 overall record and currently three and a half games back. Over the past five years beyond the Southwest Division being one of the best divisions in the NBA, it also, also a positive record, a winning record within your division, has been a big boost to playoff teams. More than 80% of the East and Western Conference playoff teams over the past five years have had a winning record within their division. And the reason why makes sense. These are the teams that you play more than anybody else. Any one division team plays the other four teams in their division 16 times during the season. That's a that's a fifth of your schedule. So if you can have success within your division, that's a good indicator that you will have a good chance of making the playoffs. And when it comes to the Grizzlies so far this season, they certainly have been able to take advantage of that. A 3-0 start with wins over the Mavericks, the Pelicans, and the Spurs with an upcoming game against the Rockets, who they'll see for the first time Saturday night. But looking at the, each team within the division, let's start with the Dallas Mavericks. Again, a better-than-expected start. One huge region for, reason for their success has been a home record of 12-2 and this season. But their success this year begins and, and ends, however you want to call it, with the play of, of Luka Doncic. Obviously, the, this draft was one of the more anticipated drafts in quite a while, simply due to the speculation of what Doncic was um, as a player. The reason for the Mavericks' success starts with defense. Um, they are fourth in the league right now um, in, in points allowed, and they also are, are uh, first in opponents' rebounds. So basically the Mavericks are having success by limiting opponents' ability to score and also being able to overall play great defense. For the season himself, Luka Doncic is leading the team in points with 17.8 points per game. He's averaging six rebounds, four assists. He is shooting 37% from three and overall 42% from the field. But as highlights have shown, 
Donches has to have the ability to show that he can take over games late and also contribute um, to teams' play. Um, you also have Harrison Barnes, who is continuing his solid play um, in his Dallas Mavericks career. He's averaging 17.7 points per game. And the addition of DeAndre Jordan certainly is making an impact as he's averaging 13.6 rebounds, which is near the top of the league. So, again, just a, a starting lineup that is finding a lot of success off the bench, you also have J.J. Barea, Dorian Finney-Smith, um, Dwight Powell. One big key besides Luka Doncic and the addition of DeAndre um, Jordan has been the bench play for the Mavericks. At any point in time, they're going to have success with the rotation that they have in the game, and it clearly has made a difference for them in overachieving and, and, and doing better than expected, just like the Grizzlies have so far this year. For the New Orleans Pelicans, as we discussed Friday, um, the record that they have is hard to believe. With the front court that they currently have in place, you would think that the Pelicans would clearly be one of the better teams in the West. And while their overall record at 14-15 and 15 does still have them clearly within playoff contention, the reason why they've disappointed so far is because they currently are 30th in the league in defense. They are probably the most polarizing team out there and that they lead the league in offense due to unbelievable front court production um, on offense. But they also, with Anthony Davis at the helm, are 30th in the league in points allowed at 115.6. Anthony Davis is having another MVP-type season. Drew Holiday is, is having an all-star campaign himself. And Nikola Miritich and Julius Randle, along with Davis, make the Pelicans have one of the best front courts in the NBA. However, overall, the lack of defense has really made them a disappointment so far this year. If they ever figure it out, they're going to be a dangerous team. But as of right now, if they continue to let teams score at will, it's hard to have long-term success with that philosophy in place. Obviously, the cream of the crop of the Southwest Division over the past two decades uh, has been Pop and the San Antonio Spurs. This year, though, it clearly is, has been a transition. Uh, the, the departure of Tony Parker, the retirement of Manu Ginobili, and obviously coming to an end of the uh, Kawhi Leonard episode ha has read, led to a lot of roster change-up. Um, the big impact that uh, beyond the uh, trade of Kawhi Leonard that has impacted the San Antonio Spurs is also obviously the injuries that occurred uh, with the um, Spurs point guard position with DeJounte Murray's injury, uh, as well as others, that has kind of left their guard situation depleted. DeMar DeRozan, it, it, who they acquired in the quad leader trade, he is having one of his best seasons, averaging 24.8 points per game, five rebound, or, or nearly six rebounds, nearly six assists. He clearly has answered the bell and, and, and stepped into that Kawhi Leonard low role to be able to lead this team. Along with the LaMarcus Aldridge, them together are, are definitely a solid one-two punch that, as many expected, are making the Spurs competitive and still within reach of the playoffs a uh, third of the way through the season. Really where the Spurs are struggling is surprisingly on defense. They're 21st in the league um, at allowing 113.3 points per game, and they also are 28th in the league um, in, in, in creating turnovers. So their defensive uh, the, the, the defensive ability is certainly not to the level that it used to be. Losing a player like Kawhi, who's an 
walking defensive player of the year candidate every year, that certainly hurts their overall production as a defensive team. But again, just like the Pelicans, the defense of the Spurs likely right now is their Achilles heel uh, in preventing them from being as good as some might have thought. And then rounding up the division, uh, looking at the Houston Rockets, um, it, this team, in my opinion, clearly has the most talent. It, it, that 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 goes without saying. With James Harden and with uh, Chris Paul and with uh, Clint Capella, it, it's hard to see another team that would match up against the Rockets. But in terms of their overall production, it just simply has not been there. While they're while yes, they are sixth in the league in defense. They currently right now are 29th in the league in points scored. That is hard to believe when it comes to the ability, when it comes to the Rockets last year being one of the best three-point shooting teams in the history of the NBA. They still are first in the league in three-point attempts and second in the league in um, three-pointers made. But they're also 24th in the league in three-point three percentage. So, yeah, well, they're taking a lot of threes. Their shots are not falling as they usually do. They're not producing a lot of two-point shots. And overall, on offense, with the inability to rebound, they just are not executing as well as many thought. And so right now, they bring up the division rear in terms of record, 11-14. The key to all this is saying that even though the division is not played out as many would have thought, it's still a very close division. Three and a half games separate the Grizzlies and the Rockets right now in terms of overall record. So going forward, even though the Grizzlies are 3-0, and each game within the division stays more and more important. At the end of the day, no matter how much your record is, if you could stay at the top of the division, that guarantees that you're likely going to be in the playoffs. So for the Grizzlies going forward, one of their big focuses is especially against their division opponents. Not only with how close the division is, but also with each division win, they give themselves a small, while it is a small increment, they give themselves a better and better chance to still be there at the end of the season for the playoffs. So overall, Southwest Division, it's been pretty amazing how the Dallas Mavericks and the Grizzlies have overachieved and the disappointment that the Houston Rockets and San Antonio Spurs have suffered. But at the end of the day, with a three-and-a-half game difference between the top of the division and the bottom of the division, it's up for anyone's grabs to be able to claim the Southwest Division title and have a good chance of the playoffs coming up at the end of the season. We'll be right back with you to wrap up this show with a look at the Grizzlies roster going forward. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. And as we wrap up today's show, wanted to focus a little bit on the Grizzlies roster. As I mentioned in the first segment, this roster is at its best. And, and yet, as we mentioned yesterday, this roster is at its best when Marcus Gasol, Mike Conley, and Jaron Jackson are, are going strong. And right now, the concern for the roster is that there are clear 
things that are preventing that from happening. In the case of Mike and Mark, it's the season has caught up with them. At the end of the day, both of these players are over 30 years old. And the usage that they have had, the minutes that they have played, it's now led to some injuries. It's now led to some fatigue. And so each player is not is just simply not able right now to perform at their regular level of play that the Grizzlies sorely need in order to be competitive, in order to be able to have the best chance to win. The other player along with that is Jaron Jackson. And as mentioned before, and what I feel is definitely on the shoulders of J.B. Bickerstaff, is the handling of Jaron Jackson's minutes. Jaron Jackson should be getting 35 minutes a night. He should be starting the game and should be ending the game for you. But not to get too repetitive from the first segment, the reason why I wanted to talk about the roster is because there are clear weaknesses. There is one big weakness that the Grizzlies roster has that likely likely needs to be addressed at some point, and that is wing production. As I mentioned in yesterday's episode, the signing of Joe Kim, of Joe Kim Noah really allowed the Grizzlies to have admirable front court depth. With Noah, with Kyle Anderson, who, who again is more of a, th- a four than a three, Jermichael Green, Jaron Jackson, and Marc Gasol, the Grizzlies' front court depth is admirable. It, it's deep. It's got quality. It allows for them to maintain that, that defensive presence throughout the game. Noah likely will continue to be relied upon more, relied upon more to give Mark more rest. Jermichael Green is playing good basketball, just as he's been known to do. He's shown that he clearly has come back from injury. And, of course, the quality play of Jaron Jackson and Kyle Anderson has been a big boost to the Grizzlies' efforts. But beyond that, and beyond the combination of Shelvin Mack, no matter how much you want to dispute Shelvin Mack's presence, at the end of the day, he's another ball handler for the Grizzlies, so he's going to continue to get minutes, especially if something is wrong with Conley, whether it be health or whether it just need to be rest. The need for Shelvin Mack is certainly there. But as far as the wing goes, Garrett Temple, he was a Band-Aid for that weakness to begin the season. As I mentioned yesterday, Temple and Mack helped out the Grizzlies to overachieve the start of the season because they were playing above their heads. But Garrett Temple has fallen back down to earth. He played great defense last night. He is a wonderful veteran presence to have, and in my opinion, certainly is not a liability as a starter. But he himself is not someone that you can rely on night in and night out to be able to contribute scoring production from from the wing, and also continue to play lockdown defense every single night. It's just not his game. It's not a knock on Temple. It's just that it's not his game. So the Grizzlies at some point, to really be able to have a chance to stay in playoff contention, and when they get to the playoff, make some noise, their clear need that they need to feel is the wing position. Over at Grizzly Bear Blues, where me and Mark are contributing members, um, to the blog at Grizzly Bear Blues, um, a fellow writer by the name of Parker Fleming uh, has has been a good source of discussion, whether it be through group chats or on Twitter or through some of his writings, really addressing this situation. Um, he, he's made the suggestion of, of signing Nick Young, who wound up signing with the Denver Nuggets. He's also made some trade suggestions and things such as that. But he released an article today in which he gave some ideas of some targets that the Grizzlies could, could focus on in trades. In general, I agree with Parker's assessment that the Grizzlies need to make a move now to be able to give them that advantage. The Grizzlies being a team that, again, as we've stated, likely having played above their heads to begin the season are a surprise playoff contender at 15-11 and 11 right now. They are a team that needs to make a move now before other teams can in order to be able to continue to give them a chance to be competitive against the better teams in the West. 
Moves that we're talking about are, are trades for a wing. For instance, Parker brings up some, some interesting names. Obviously, Evan Fournier of the Orlando Magic has been someone that Grizzlies fans have mentioned for a few years is basically being someone the Grizzlies could target to replace what they thought they were going to get with Chandler Parsons. But it's just it's hard to believe Fournier ain't being traded. Uh, the, he, the Magic seem to love him. He seems to love Orlando. And the Magic are a surprising playoff contender in the East. So some interesting names that... Um, Parker Fleming had mentioned, he mentions Courtney Lee or Damari Carroll as buyout candidates. Obviously, those could be targets for the Grizzlies with each having been a Memphis Grizzly in the past. Um, their potential trade options could be Terrence Ross, uh, Jonathan Simmons uh, of the Orlando Magic, uh, potentially Justin Holiday, who's having a very good year for the um, uh, Chicago Bulls. And then, of course, Jordan Clarkson or, Jordan Clarkson or Rodney Hood of the Cleveland Cavaliers. These targets, he also mentions Jeremy Lin, um, and, and there have been uh, Trevor Ariza. There are plenty of names out there that have been speculated, and, and, and I agree with Parker's assessment that the Grizzlies need to make a trade. I think it makes perfect sense. And I also think it makes perfect sense with their current roster breakdown that the Grizzlies have a glaring piece to use in a trade, and his name is Jermichael Green. Don't get me wrong. I'm not questioning Jermichael Green's value to the Grizzlies roster. Obviously, um, J.B. Bickerstaff loves him with how much he uses him, even though he probably shouldn't over Jaron Jackson in the fourth quarter. But with the fact that Kyle Anderson's game has proven to be more valuable at the four position really than at the three position, that makes Jermichael Green expendable, in my opinion. And it also makes him attractive to really any roster in the NBA. You could Trade him to an Eastern Conference playoff contender, and he really could add value to their front court. Or you could trade him to someone who's not a playoff contender because his expiring contract becomes an asset. But if the Grizzlies could take Jermichael Green and turn him into a scoring wing, I think that that's going to give them the that's going to be a great move to really make this roster more balanced and be able to address a weakness that I think is going that is going to become more and more exposed as time goes on. But that brings me to my big point when it comes to this roster. Mark asked me last week how I felt uh, um, the Grizzlies should, what I felt the Grizzlies should do in terms of making a move overall. And I had answered the question that when it comes to it, for the Grizzlies to be able to really focus on this season, they have to ask themselves this question. Do you truly feel that your chances this year are getting into the playoffs and really making an impact? Is it worth you making a big move to potentially sacrifice more of your future to get a piece that you could use to make the most of this year? Or does it make sense to keep your future intact and use what you have available on your roster to get this, the, the clear need that you have taken care of? And to me, the answer to that is the latter. The Grizzlies roster right now is set up for success. It truly is one of the best defensive teams in the league and is a true playoff contender in my opinion. However, just like I answered on Friday, I mentioned that I don't think that right now they are a playoff team. You make a trade for a wing and a wing that can score, my opinion probably changes a little bit. But to get that wing that can score, I feel that you need to use the current roster pieces that you have in order to get that. Yeah, it may not lead to you getting just that clear, significant player. I know that people have talked about Bradley Beal or other players of that caliber. I don't think that's in the cards, and it doesn't make sense to me to be able to try to acquire those players because as a small market, Memphis needs to build through the draft. We have always 
known that, that, that Memphis has had a hard time to acquire talent through free agency. The only real, the biggest free agent we've ever signed is Tony Allen. Both Mark and Zach came through trades. Mike came through the draft. So through, through the over 15 years of being in Memphis, the Grizzlies have never really had success attracting free agents to Memphis. So what I mean by when I say that when it comes to acquiring talent, the Grizzlies should use their current roster in place. If you could exchange to Michael Green for a scoring wing, it makes sense. You fill a need, you get stronger in an area of weakness, you balance out the roster. But if it comes to using future assets as the way to get that wing need filled this year, I don't feel that that's the smartest way to approach things. Once the Grizzlies get past this year, likely losing their first round pick, they'll have assets in place to build around Jermichael Green. And with going through the draft, they get cost-controllable assets that they can develop. So overall, I feel that getting Dylan Brooks back, as I mentioned yesterday, will really help out the Grizzlies' um, wing situation. And I do feel that potentially focusing on a trade of Jermichael Green to another team for wing makes some sense as well. Thank you for joining us again today on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. I hope you've enjoyed uh, some of the information that we were able to give today. Tomorrow, um, I know I mentioned yesterday that today we would uh, preview the um, Trailblazers game, but tomorrow we'll actually do that. And got some fun things going on tomorrow. Um, In the first segment, uh, we'll do a a Stats Wednesday. I know that Mark usually goes over some stats for the Grizzlies. I'll um, have some stats for you to kind of update you on where the Grizzlies stand compared to other teams in the league. In the second segment, pretty excited to bring on Brandon Abraham, a fellow Grizzly Bear Blues um, contributor. We're going to talk the hustle. We're going to talk about uh, Javon Carter. We're going to talk about you. Wanatambe, talk about Ivan Rab, just get an idea of the hustle and, and see how some players are developing. And in the third segment, we'll break down the Grizzlies' upcoming game against the Trailblazers, hopefully uh, leading to some success and getting a big win um, as they head into the uh, teeth of their schedule uh, to end the year. As always, thanks for joining us. Hope you all have a wonderful Tuesday, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.